0: Hello, and welcome back to Music People. I'm your host, Jonathan Milton, and my guest today is Lauren Gould. Lauren's an Austin musician who plays everything from classical to swing to rock. She does it all with style. She currently plays and sings with Cats in the Canary, the Rockstep Relevators, and the Texas Moaners, just to name a few. She's got a real passion for health and wellness, and she's always reaching for more in her art, her education, her teaching, her everything. That's why she's on this show today. Lauren's been such a huge inspiration for me and countless others in the Austin scene and abroad. So I want you to hear what she has to say. Lauren, I'm really excited to be interviewing you today uh, because I really dig your music and I'd love to know what got you into music in the first place.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Um, Thank you for the kind words. Uh, Well um my dad is a musician and uh so i've i've been making music since i was probably three or four years old just in the house with with my dad i think i got my my first piano lessons when i was five and i think i got a little half size guitar when i was you know five or six or something like that and and i didn't have formal lessons on guitar but my dad would just He'd just be like, let's jam, you know. He'd <laughs> just kind of show me casually a couple chords and be like, cool, we're just jamming, you know. And um,
0: and you were into it at that age? I was no? into yeah. it
1: because it was, you know, I, I didn't do super well with the formal piano lessons, but um, but I I had a lot of, like, informal music in my life, which was really cool, yeah. and, and a lot of just kind of, you know, laissez-faire kind of... You know, here's a piano, here's a guitar, here's an instrument, here's Just a tin whistle, you know. Mess around with it. Just mess around with it. Yeah. So so growing up, there was always, you know, there was like a an attitude uh, of not really having barriers of entry, if that makes any sense, yeah. of not really necessarily putting these musical instruments on a pedestal of like, you know, right. you, you have to take lessons and you have to practice for hours a day, which, you know, that's kind of... It has its positives and, its, <laughs> and yeah. its negatives. But I think it was a really good way for me to just kind of uh, have a foundation of, like, my musical life. And so I just grew up playing music with, with my, my dad and my sisters and my stepmom and our family band. And and then and then I did, you know, then I was in band. and You had
0: a family band? Yeah, I had a family well, band. Tell me about that. <laughs>
1: um, well, uh, it was a little bit later for me because my sisters were involved and they're they're a lot younger than me yeah. so um but uh yeah you know i did the i did the band thing in uh in middle school and high school and i played flute and so every once in a while my dad's like a singer songwriter and so he would have me come and, and play a little flute with him you know after i started learning the flute yeah. on his gigs and then when my sisters got old enough then um they started taking fiddle lessons and uh, he would have them come play some fiddle, and then it just kind of snowballed into we were all kind of playing music together, and, and um and uh, and then my stepmom got involved too, and we were we would do little summer tourcations, and you no know. way,
0: like where would you go?
1: Uh, like um, well, it started going up to Illinois a lot to visit my my grandparents, and yeah. we would just book some gigs along the way, and then we did some some east east uh, like southeast um coast kind of stuff some tennessee and then some colorado you know that area i think they've kind of picked like areas of the country they would like that we would go anyway for a family vacation and then just kind of like books and stuff
0: two birds with one stone yeah
1: so yeah that was it was an interesting thing so i
0: knew that you played as a kid but i didn't know that you had that you like toured with your family band and did that whole thing Yeah. yeah was that like was it super fun
1: um, I mean, well, I was a teenager okay. at the time. Uh, by the time that was really rocking, you know, because yeah. my sisters were uh, were pretty little. And I think I was like 15, 16 when we really started doing that. So I was right at that age where, you know, I was kind of trying to be my own person. Yeah, and trying
0: to be cool. Trying to be yeah.
1: cool, you know. <laughs> and uh, and so I don't think I... I know I didn't appreciate um, the the beauty of of that experience at the time, you yeah. know, I was probably kind of a brat, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but everything's cool now. Um, I mean, you were 15. I'm, yeah. So, you know. I mean, yeah, that's just kind of par for the course, yeah. but, but, um, uh, but I'm super grateful now, you know, looking back for that experience because that's how I learned how to sing harmony and how to play by ear, you know, and how to oh. kind of like not be not uh, not have a lot of fear around music making, mm-hmm. you know, which I think is
0: really mm, okay. wonderful. So you got comfortable being on stage and all mm-hmm. that stuff at a pretty early age. Yeah. Did you? What, what was your? So you said that you started when you were like three or four. Like, what's your earliest music mm-hmm. memory?
1: <laughs> um, well, I when I was when I was four, my parents got divorced, and uh-huh. I was spending time you know I was dividing my time and, and it was pretty much half and half and I remember one day my dad picked me up from daycare and you know he he's a songwriter so I came home and I was like dad I wrote a song and I think I was 4 and he's like oh great let's hear it you know and and then and then in my head I remember thinking oh I have to I have to actually come through now you know like yeah. <laughs> cuz yeah. I think I just kind of wanted to <laughs> you know you just want to you know you want to capture the attention of your parents you know so i don't think i really had fully thought the thing through and so i just started i think i was improvising Mm -hmm. and of course you know smart dad was recording me so um yeah i wrote this song called sloppy pigs and um it's uh it's really great like stream of consciousness like bizarre surreal child singing So you still have the
0: recording yeah Yeah
1: My dad has a cassette tape of it When are we going to I think hear I that? played harmonica on it too It's pretty Yeah Pretty awesome Yeah um, He actually He played it at our, our At our wedding Oh cool Reception Yeah Yeah To embarrass me It was great <laughs> But um, Yeah That's kind of my earliest Sloppy pigs Sloppy pigs um, Yeah
0: So what was it like for you When you started yeah. school band? Was it like a totally different world? And was that your totally first Formal world. training I guess?
1: Well I had you know other than having some piano lessons here and there yeah it was it was the most formal music that I had done, <clears throat> and I think that was uh it was a little bit jarring to me at first, yeah, um you know I would be trying i would I would be a little experimental sometimes, and it would be like, "Don't do that, you know, don't do vibrato yet, you're only in sixth grade, you know, yeah, we're not there yet, <laughs> you know really." Yeah, yeah. Stop just, that. Yeah, stop. Don't be musical. Stop being creative. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I, I think there's, it's a, it's an interesting world, the yeah. The formal, you yeah. know, band world. It's kind of like sports for music.
0: Yes, <laughs> it is. All the competition. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. It's very you know, regimented.
1: Yeah, there's great things about it, and I'm super grateful for it, but. Yeah. It's definitely a different world. <laughs> I
0: remember when I first started, I think it was fifth grade, and I was playing trumpet, and uh, that was when I first started reading music, and I got mm. totally obsessed with... I was like, oh my God, you can read music? Whoa, you know? that seems
1: kind of uncommon.
0: It, well, yeah, I was the, I was a total nerd as a kid, you know? And I still am, but... Really? But, uh, yeah, so I got the little method book, you know? Yeah. <laughs> was that sarcastic?
1: <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. Hey, so takes I, one to know one. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: i got the method book it was called like um uh, i forget what it's called but everybody has it when they start the playing.
1: arbenz thing
0: mm, that doesn't ring a bell
1: wow that's the only like trumpet method book i can
0: yeah well it was like the like every instrument had the same oh book, like the essential know? elements that one the, that's yeah, it. yeah that's the one essential we elements but mm-hmm. i don't know i just i was like amazed that that you could write down music you know yeah um totally Anyway, was that when you learned how to read music or were you doing it already?
1: Yeah, it was well I had done some with my piano lessons. Yeah. But I never I never did really all that well with it because I could I could hear. I had I had a pretty good ear and so I would figure out the notes, you know, I'd use the the sheet music as a map yeah. to figure out what the notes were supposed to be and then I would just use my ear after that. So, I never got really good at sight reading because right. I I just I just used the, the sheet music to initially figure out the music, you know. But, yeah, um, yeah I actually, I, when I first realized the importance of reading music was when I was, um, I think I was about 12, about the same time. Maybe I was starting band and stuff. And, um, and I really wanted to play Moonlight Sonata. Um, and, uh, and I was learning it by ear. Um, with the with the recording, and I would you know we had the piano was on the other side of the room from the stereo, so I would run over to the stereo and play a couple seconds of it, and then like hum it as I was running back to the piano and find the notes, and I did that over and over and over again, and I just got like through maybe the first, I don't know, but I got I got pretty deep into it, but it just got too hard for me to hear. I just yeah. couldn't, you know, just got too complicated for for my ears, and so. My dad took me to Alpha Sheet Music back in the day when it was still open and uh and he got me the uh the sheet music and yeah. I came home and I had to write all the notes in you know and some of my I still have that book and some of them I wrote in wrong <laughs> but <laughs> but uh and I learned it and it took me like 6 months but that was that was the first time I remember going like this is why it's good to know how to read music because sometimes things are just more complicated than what you can hear.
0: And And did you play flute before band or is that when you started? No,
1: I started, yeah, I started. How did you choose that? Just because my mom played it when she was in high school, so we had one in the closet. So I started on my mom's 30-year-old (laughs) Gemeinhardt.
0: That that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, it worked for me. me. Got me going.
0: So, um... Well, so you've been doing music for your whole life, basically. What keeps you in it now? Like, what motivates you to keep going and pursuing it?
1: Yeah. Um, I think... I've been thinking about this a lot lately, actually, because I kind of... A few years ago, I had, like, a huge existential crisis and mm. almost quit music mm-hmm. um, just because I felt like... Um, well, I was dealing with some depression and I and I and I felt like I needed to be doing more to to help the world mm-hmm. you know I just I just felt like I need to be making a more direct impact a direct positive impact and uh, so I considered you know going to med school or something mm-hmm. you know and um, and I, I actually took a biology class at ACC mm-hmm. and um, and I, I I really enjoyed it. it was really cool, but um, I had I was still teaching lessons, and I I was I had a gap between lessons, and I said, you know, I'm, I haven't really played my flute much lately because I've been focusing on other things. And so I picked it up and I pulled up some piece that I had in my bag, you know, and and uh, and I was like, wow, I sound terrible, and it was like the saddest thing in the world to me to not have that voice, you know, to not have the ability to yeah. to um, have that form of expression, and I realized that. I I needed that in my life and I needed to be able to do it at a level that I felt good about my what I was communicating. And and so I, I kind of recommitted and then I realized shortly thereafter that we we are helping as musicians. Yeah. You know, it is necessary. Yeah. It's it's really important to have art and music and all of these forms of expression that that heal people i mean it sounds cliche but it's true you know yeah and uh and so i started because you know i started performing more um when i added the saxophone i started playing for uh, a lot more dancers and kind of different crowds and Mm -hmm. you know people come up to you and they they tell you how how much it meant to them you know to hear your music or how much they were able to kind of let go of you know, their day or, or mm-hmm. whatever was bothering them or for that moment, you know, they were just present and to be able to give someone that experience and to have that experience yourself while you're playing is mm-hmm. extremely powerful. So yeah, I think that's what keeps me in it. Yeah. Long answer. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great.
0: And I can relate to so much of that. When yeah. I first knew you, um, you were, I only knew of you as a flute player mm. and uh, you were playing with cats in the canary mm-hmm. and I, I saw some of your gigs and uh, also you would sit in with thrift set orchestra mm. sometimes and um, were you playing saxophone at that time or was it when you started getting drawn more into the um, like for instance playing with thrift set or some of those bands that made you think like maybe I should pick up saxophone and
1: well uh, I you know i played I've played saxophone for quite a while but i put it away while i was going to school for the flute
0: yeah okay because
1: i just really needed to focus but um like i actually had uh, the first some of the first times ryan and i were getting together you know almost 15 years ago uh, we mm-hmm. were getting together to play long tones on our saxophones oh <laughs> yeah start just starting was to like learn. your dates yeah yeah <laughs> that's <laughs> cool together to play long tones. <laughs> yeah so um uh so i got back into it i guess it was 2012 because i was i had joined i had finished school i needed to join a band where i was just able to completely cut loose you know and not be graded you know i was just Mm. i'd just gotten out of that regimented classical you know academic environment which i loved but i was ready for something a little different and i was playing piccolo in minor mishap and we had three piccolo players and like you, you don't need three piccolo players. <laughs> you know, slick. and one of them's Joe fast. England, and Joe England is amazing. And oh, you know, yeah, like, yeah. He, like, he's the piccolo player for Minor Mishap. You right. You know, like, um, so, uh, it, eventually, I was like, I'm gonna get my saxophone back out, and I got it out, and I, I went, I read through all the material f- in the Mishap book. I was like, okay, I'm in, I'm doing this. So, for the longest time, I was just playing saxophone in that context, mm-hmm. and, um, and it wasn't really until we got back from Ireland, like in 2015, that I started getting more serious about the saxophone. And, mm-hmm. it, and and it was like I would the more saxophone I would play, the more opportunities I would get to play with these jazz bands that I was I was really wanting to get into that music. And I mean, it's just you know the flute is just not quite as conducive, especially when it's like a, a horn band.
0: Yeah, it's not going to cut through. As, it doesn't cut yeah. through
1: as much, and also just the tone of it at least from my perspective, it feels really thin when uh-huh. you're playing with a bunch of horns, yeah. you know? You can't, you just can't reach, reach in and grab a hold, you know, of your guts. When yeah. you're, you yeah. know, like you can, but it's just, it's just different. Yeah, you can't like dig with, in the same way. Yeah. yeah, with the saxophone, you can really, you know, it's yeah. just so satisfying. So, yeah, um, and I got, I got a tenor, and that was what really like opened up my world and then i started playing soprano and it was like oh
0: how was the how was it different on the tenor for you you were playing alto before that yeah i was playing
1: alto for the longest time yeah and i I, uh i have a a great story about how i got my tenor but um yeah i think partially because it was a b-flat instrument Mm -hmm. and um i've i was not good at transposing at all because i'm a flute player all my life i've always played Mm. concert pitch instruments and um so sitting in on saxophone was always a little bit of a challenge for me because I would have to transpose and, oh, you so know. they wouldn't have
0: it written for alto?
1: Well, if I was just kind of sitting in, um, okay. yeah. you know. Gotcha. But, but I started subbing for Thrift Set because um, actually my first time subbing with Thrift Set, I was subbing for Jelly, for, for David Jellima, who's uh-huh. who plays uh, cornet and clarinet and I play neither of those instruments, but I, they couldn't find anybody else to do the gig last minute. And so I was like, well, I could play tenor and soprano, you know, it's in B flat. And because I had those B flat instruments, I was able to get in there. And, um, and that kind of opened things up for me a little bit more because then it would be like, you know, I can play things with B flat parts. I can play clarinet parts on soprano, you know, which is, you know, it's, it's a different sound, but it, it's been working. And, um, and yeah, and for me, the voice of the tenor was just a little bit more. I don't know. There, there was something about it that really connected me with uh, a lot of the players that I love. You know, like mm. Lester Young mm-hmm. and Coleman Hawkins Coleman, and that yeah. kind of thing. Mm. Um, Don Bias, he's one of my favorites. And so I started kind of learning all of that stuff, and that kind of helped pull me in. I just feel like with the the alto is so. Um, it's so forward. I don't know. It's it's so penetrating. A sound. Mm, it's more of a pure. Uh, yeah. Sound, well, at yeah. least f- for me. Um, and so I like doing. I like doing kind of the the more like Balkan style and the brass band music and stuff on alto because it's just so It's such a forward voice. Yeah. Whereas it's easier for me on tenor to get that more kind of intimate, smoky kind of sound. Yeah. You know. Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, you mentioned Ireland and. Yeah. You went there and did a a degree in community music, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And well, I want to know what that was like (laughs) for you, but also I want to ask you, uh, I know that you're passionate about the whole concept of community music. Mm -hmm. And why is that? And what does it mean to you?
1: Yeah, that's the question. (laughs) What is community music? Um, So I guess the simplest explanation is that It's engaging communities with music as a tool. So um, engaging people, engaging their expression. um, And the the concept is that, you know, the the process is more important than the product. So in some ways you could say it's a philosophy, you know. It's a way of kind of moving through your life and your world as a musician. Um, That's the way I think of it. Uh, the way it was presented in school was really, you know, workshop based. You know, um, here's how you can get people together who are in this, you know, group of society and get them to make music together. And that's kind mm. of that was kind of a lot of uh, of, so it was of more their about application
0: organizing events or yeah,
1: organizing music making activities okay. with groups of people that might not normally play music Okay. you know so I, I guess that's part of it is is, um, encouraging people to make music like um, making music making more accessible for people not in a way that you're trying to get them to create this um, really polished product mm. that they would present but for the act of making music mm-hmm. you know as a as a, as a connector between people, as a mode of ex- expression, um, all the things that music making is. Right. And um, But I think you can carry that into your philosophy as a performer as well, um, where you are... I mean, in, in every aspect of performance, maybe it's more tangible that you are trying to get people involved so that they feel like they're part of your show. Maybe it's just that you are presenting yourself with an energy that's more open. Mm. To me, that that philosophy kind of penetrates all aspects of being a musician, mm-hmm. whether I'm performing and I'm on a stage and the audience is out there, you know, and we're yeah. not interacting, I'm still thinking about them and how I can make them feel like they're a part of what's happening, okay. you know? Or sometimes it might be a more tangible thing.
0: Yeah. but. Yeah, well, I've always noticed that about your performances that you're oh, you. very inclusive of the audience and it's all there's no separation really mm, thank you. And I feel comfortable Talking to you guys and yelling mm. things out when I'm at your shows because I Great. know because you're giving off that energy And that's also how I would define community music um, I was talking to tim kerr last week mm-hmm. and he was talking about the uh, early days of the diy movement and how mm. that was kind of the whole ethos of that thing it was mm. like uh look, yeah, we're up here playing, but uh you guys are part of it too mm-hmm. and they would inv- and they considered everything that was happening in the audience as part of the show as well. Mm-hmm. And uh his band at that time, the Big Boys, they would always say, "All right, now go start your own band." Mm-hmm. You know, and it was like we're all one organism, you know. Yeah. And it was kind of um maybe a, a reaction to how it was before that where it's like You've got this band on stage that's elevated to this like godlike status, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, we're the audience over here and they're up there. They're whatever you're thinking. I don't know. But um, yeah, but community music is kind of the opposite of that. It's like Mm -hmm. we're all doing this together. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's cool. Thank you for that. Of course. Uh, um, So what was it like in Ireland? And the, the program there maybe was focused on something a little different from, from, uh, from your thinking or how you defined it. So what was that like for you?
1: So I, I think as in terms of philosophy, we were on the same page with, Mm -hmm. with most of the the folks that like our lectures at, at, at UL, um, university of limerick in in ireland um and i think um the interesting thing about being there is that there's no formal public music education like there's no music education in schools and so by necessity like if people are going to get music they have to get it in this way and so there's all these Programs that people have have devised is more, much more DIY kind of mu- music education over there so um, so I was a part of this brass band project that went into a primary school and we offered um, you know music theory private lessons and a little ensemble um, and instruments they could also rent um, and we would co- go to their school and like it's kind of this little pop-up brass band thing that we started Um, and uh, it's it's really different from the way it is here because everything is so formalized you know Um, and so that's kind of almost it's it's almost like the only way they know is this community music kind of concept of like well if if people are going to get music like we have to we have to make it happen for them and and it's not formal because it hasn't really been formalized, if that makes any sense. Yeah. <laughs> I could probably be a lot more eloquent with that, but... Um, makes sense. Yeah. You know, and there's a uh, the school where I taught when I was over there who who did that kind of satellite brass band program. They also had a, a brick-and-mortar establishment. Um, they were part of the... Uh, it's actually, I think it's changed now, but at that time it was part of the Redemptress Church. It was supported by the Redemptress Church. And it was it was on uh, on that site, and um, we had uh, music theory, private lessons, ensembles um, of different types. We had you know a brass band, a string ensemble. There was like a traditional Irish group. Um, there was I think there was a guitar ensemble. There was like a choir, and they were all ages. So you would have parents and kids, you know, in these little ensembles together. And um, I helped a lot with the band program and so you would have like, you know, the parents and the kids would each go to their respective private lessons or theory classes or whatever. And my theory class that I taught was I had people who were probably in their 70s and people who were in, you know, third or fourth grade all in my class, you know, and then they would all be in the band together. And we we marched in the Paddy's Day Parade and the International Band Championships in which we won Best Local Band. Mm -hmm. Hey nice. <laughs> we played Eye of the Tiger <laughs> and Happy by Pharrell Williams. Perfect. It was really great. Yeah. But um, you know, in the in the marching band we'd have, you know, a kid who was, you know, three and a half feet tall and then, you know, six foot three adults and they're all marching together and you know, I, I just thought that was really beautiful that you had all these community members making music together and multi-generational and and people learning from each other you know the older people sometimes learning from the the kids yeah. because they're just getting into music later in life and that's really different than the way we do it over here because um you know we have the system where you kind of go through and you're kind of with your your same age group um so i, I really liked that aspect of the yeah. way they do things
0: Sort of shifting gears, but would you be willing to share uh, any personal struggle or, or obstacle that you've overcome in, in your life or in music or yeah. however you want to answer that?
1: Sure. Um, I guess I kind of alluded to, to it earlier, but yeah. um, I struggle with, with depression. And, um, you know, it's in my family. Something that I've been you know I've dealt with all my life and in, in various ways, to varying degrees. And um, when I was living in Ireland, it got it got really, really difficult. Mm. Um, for a lot of reasons, I think part of it is you know you you move to another country and you you know you kind of remove your support system that you've you've created your whole life. I mean, uh, I lived in Austin all my life. yeah, it was the first time I'd ever moved out of my own hometown, let alone to another country. So all of a sudden, I wasn't surrounded by my friends and my family and my music community and all of these things that I built up over time. And, um, you know, and then all the challenges with, you know, I mean, things like... You know, you're here, but you can't you can't open a bank account because you don't have the right letter from your school and your school won't give you the right letter until orientation, which is not for another three weeks. And, you know, just red tape, tape, you know, just silly things like that. And, and all those things piling up and, and, and when, when your mental health is in full form, it's a lot easier to deal with all of that Mm -hmm. stuff. But, um, so it, it, it really wore me down. And then, I mean, honestly, the climate was really difficult for me. Oh. You know, the, you know we didn't have a car, so I was riding my bike to that school. I was talking about, a, it was like a 30-minute bike ride, and it was usually raining yeah. and usually, you know, sometimes hailing and the wind was blowing, you know, and you just felt like life was just kind of, you know, punching you in the face constantly. Not very much
0: sunshine, yeah. <laughs> no,
1: not enough sunshine, <laughs> not enough vitamin. I was taking vitamin D supplements. I don't think it really helped, but... Yeah. You know, um, and uh trying to take care of myself the best I could, you know, yeah. with my nutrition and my exercising, but it was just like nothing was really working for me and i I am, um, and so I'm doing a lot better now, you know, it's been a few years, but um it's been it's been a real struggle because you know being a musician, you have um you you have to be a self starter you know because yes. you, you know it's you are your own boss and nobody's, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, do for nobody's you. gonna do it for you nobody's gonna do it for you nobody's gonna tell you you're not gonna go into an office and they say this is what you i need you to do today yeah. you know you have to do that for yourself yeah so if you are not i mean motivation is like the first thing to go whenever whenever those totally. things flare up so yeah. you know and then guilt because mm-hmm. it's like i need to I have all these things I need to do because I need to keep working because I need to keep pushing my career forward and I have to practice and I have to, you know, yeah. And so then that can snowball um, out of control. So th- those are some really hard things to to deal with. I think. Yeah. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. You know, whatever their their mental state. Absolutely. Um, it's just kind of par for the course being self-employed. You know, I think anybody who's who's self-employed, I'm sure, deals with that. But, um. Yeah, I'm I'm super grateful for, you know, the Sims Foundation um that we have in town because through those guys I've been able to connect with mm. the support that I needed.
0: Yeah, I just discovered them recently. They um offer mental health services for artists, musicians. For musicians. For yeah. For musicians, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. 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 Well, it's pretty amazing. Having uh dealt with depression myself, you know, many times through life and you know, I've, I've been in some of those same situations Mm -hmm. where, um, you know, you, you lose motivation or you start feeling like what you're doing doesn't matter. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so then you do less of it. And I've almost quit music a few times myself, you know, Mm -hmm. didn't play for a long time. Uh, but which actually made things worse for me because Mm -hmm. that's just like ingrained in me. And it's part Mm -hmm. of who I am. If I don't let it out, then I'm not letting out the emotions, you know? Absolutely. Um, and I think it's it's really common, and it's almost cliche that to say that musicians and you know artists, creative people of all kinds suffer a lot from mental health issues, mm-hmm. maybe more than the general population um Have you noticed that and mm-hmm. and why do you think that is
1: hmm I have noticed that, and um and that's one of those things. I always wonder, do people gravitate toward the arts because they need that in mm-hmm. their lives? You yeah. know, I feel like I need it. You know, you just kind of said you, yeah. you feel the same way. And I, I, a lot of my friends and colleagues I know feel the same way. Uh, that it is, it's it's not, it's not a, it's not frivolous, you know. It's, it's a necessity yeah. that we create and yes. we express and we make art. And... Um, so I wonder if it's like the profession chooses you or you choose the profession, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, because I don't know, and I'm sure I'm sure there are certain things about the profession that might. It's just there's a lot of uncertainty, mm-hmm. so that might be difficult for people. But I, I think I feel. That if I were doing something else, I would feel much less fulfilled because, like you said, like there's that thing inside of you that you have to release, and in in for me it comes in the form of music Mm -hmm. or art. You know, I do some visual art here and there, but yeah, yeah, it's so I feel like if I were not doing this thing that's difficult and uncertain and whatever, (laughs) then I would probably be miserable. You know, (laughs) yes, so. Yeah. I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. Well, I you know, I've, I've thought of it the same way. Is it that this thing, like I was talking to Ryan last time about, is this a calling? You know, I feel like I, I was for me, like there's no other option. Like mm-hmm. I, I have to be doing it, mm-hmm. you know, like it shows me somehow. Cause mm-hmm. even when I try to get out of it, I always mm-hmm. get pulled back in, you know, same and then here. I'm glad that I did get pulled back in. Mm-hmm. Um, But, or is it that you start doing it and you just, you connect with it in some way and, and everything that comes with it, you know? Um, so, well, also a lot of the time, like we're working in, in bars and things like that, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm uh, which can be difficult uh, for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I mean, if that's where your workplace is at a bar, then, uh, you know, a lot of musicians, um, struggle with substance abuse and Mm -hmm. things like that and that that doesn't help you know for sure that you're out there doing that that's your workplace and you're up all night you know
1: part of your payment is alcohol Uh, yeah a lot of (laughs) times yes it's like we'll pay you in beer
0: too yeah or whatever um so i think that adds to it and and one thing that's helped me a lot um in just the last year or two is just treating it more like It is, okay, this is my workplace. I'm not going to drink at work. I'm Mm going to play my gig. I'm going to do my work. Mm -hmm. And when the gig is done, then I'm going to bed, you know? (laughs) Um, Because used to, I I might... Well, it takes a long time to come down from the adrenaline too and and get to sleep, you know? Mm -hmm. So that kind of throws off. And and then you don't work every single night maybe. So you have a different sleeping schedule all the Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. It's maybe difficult, unless you've really planned it, Mm -hmm. to eat right Mm -hmm. when you're living that way. So how do you deal with those things? Mm. The age old question.
1: Well, um, I I can relate a lot to to your situation. Um, I tend to, I try to kind of treat it like, this is, I mean, I'm a professional, mm-hmm. so I'm going to, I'm going, I, go, I might be the white horse, but I'm going to work. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And um, and when, I, I'm, a, I'm in grad school right now, so when I, during the semester, I, I'm not drinking at all on school nights because of the sleep, because I have yes. to go home and go right to sleep. And I noticed that I just sleep better when I don't mm-hmm. have any alcohol in my system. And I, I, I really am a very moderate drinker any other time of my life and right now it's summertime so i might be you know a a little bit more relaxed with that um attitude but i i I never i never um go to the point where i feel like i i'm having any sort of impairment in my ability to do my job um so uh yeah it's it's hard to keep your sleep schedule and your eating schedule kind of at a reasonable level of predictability um but uh actually while we were in ireland ryan and i started this routine uh of cooking this particular meal that is healthy and delicious to us and easy for us to make and we kind of made the system where he chops and i cook and uh and we've been a- eating almost the same dinner for like the last four years. Wow,
0: <laughs> what is it?
1: Um, we have, we make a, at the beginning of the week, we make like a big um, roast of, of uh, root vegetables and sweet potatoes yeah. and carrots. and we Throw some apples in there, it's uh-huh. delicious. And uh, a ginger, fresh ginger, turmeric and garlic chopped up together, uh, cinnamon, nutmeg, um, some coconut oil, bake it. And then we have that big pan of that you know throughout the week that we can eat on, and then uh, and then we have a greens mix that we make that's it's seasonal you know it's yeah. but usually includes like broccoli, brussels sprouts, um, some squash, some some peppers, um, and also that that ginger turmeric um, garlic mix um, that we just make a big thing of that in a food processor at the beginning of the week also so we have kind of like our own little yeah. blend of of. Uh, aromatics and um and also ginger turmeric garlic natural anti-inflammatories you know Mm. garlic's natural antibiotic um so we're trying to incorporate all of these Mm. things into our daily diet that can you know that, that help yeah um and uh and then fried egg and that's like our that's like our go-to. Fantastic. And we vary it every once in a while, but it's nice to have a system that helps us a lot when we're like, cool, we got to get ready for the gig. We got to make dinner, you know? And it's like, we know what we're going to make. Yeah. And we know what our routine is. I'm so grateful for Ryan because while I'm in school, he's been doing the chopping and the cooking. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh,
0: and you know how it's going to make you feel after you yeah, eat
1: exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that, that helps take some of the unpredictability out Mm, of it yeah yeah Yeah, knowing how it's gonna make you feel too that's a good point because yeah yeah, like i if if i'm like cool i'm just gonna grab a pizza or something you know (laughs) i'm gonna get in the middle of the gig and be like
0: yes you're not gonna feel feel so good yeah
1: yeah like you need Food is supposed to be fuel, you know. (laughs) Yes. So yeah, you want it to to power you up for the gig, not to uh, weigh you down. Yeah.
0: Well, I I just recently, you know, in this same time period, last year or two, have been thinking of playing gigs as like we're not just playing music, but we're doing a physical act. Absolutely. It's you know it's it's similar to like playing sports. Like you're you're using your body. and it, you're burning lots of calories mm-hmm. while you're up there, both with mm-hmm. your brain and with the rest of your body. Totally. Um, so, I definitely try, like plan ahead now and try to fuel mm-hmm. up for that, so that I don't mm-hmm. end up eating something like stupid, like a hamburger or whatever. Yeah, right. Uh, before a gig or after the gig, when I'm already like so exhausted that I yeah. should have eaten hours ago, which totally. I used to do that all the time.
1: Yes, us too.
0: You know, and. Uh, uh, one of the biggest changes for me was doing a system like you, but it's for my breakfast. Mm. I eat the same thing for breakfast and have maybe for a year now. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I used to be really anti-planning meals. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know why I had this mental block about it, but I was like, no, I want to like just, you know, whatever I want at the moment, I Mm -hmm. want to go for that. If I plan ahead, then I'm going to eliminate the, uh, you know, the whole possibility for
1: Spontaneity. Spontaneity, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: like being creative, whatever. But I can be more creative if I can remove that one decision mm-hmm. every day, you know? Totally. So that's one decision removed. I'm eating something that I know is going to make me feel really good and give yeah. me energy. And
1: Absolutely. So
0: I, I perform way better now just because of that mm-hmm. and planning uh, and definitely eating before mm-hmm. the gig. <laughs> something really healthy, yes. you know?
1: Yes, before. It's so much better. <laughs> I mean, just... Yeah, because then I mean your brain function is not as good if you're if you're I almost said sleep deprived. That's true too. Yeah. But if you if you if you don't have, you know, the nutrition and then and then eating late at night and then oftentimes, you know, you get off the gig and you're like, cool, I'll just grab some tacos from the taco <laughs> truck, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's just yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, have you had any realization or uh some big shift in your life ever that's changed your outlook or the way that you view things musically or uh, just in the way that you you know view the world and do life
1: yes i would definitely say so probably multiple times um i mean the i mean the, the biggest initial one i can think of like several kind of moments that are like like pinnacles or um landmarks, yeah. you know, of like, ah, cool, fork in the road here, you know, <laughs> um, but uh, the, the first one that really comes to mind is, is uh, when I first met my husband Ryan and um, uh, Eric Hokunin, J.D. Pendley, John Doyle, that crowd of people, they were the first people that I had met that made their living just as performing musicians. And I didn't even, and also they were the first people that I met that were playing early jazz and swing stuff, you know, live now. Um, Because I grew up listening to, you know, Billie Holiday and Django Reinhardt and all that stuff. But I didn't actually realize that people were still making music in that tradition and that spirit, Mm. you know, now and writing music in that tradition, kind of. Um, And so when I met all of those people, it, it was a big realization for me that, like, oh, this is possible. I didn't even know that you could make your living you know I mean I grew up I was raised by a musician you know but he was he was a music teacher um he's retired now but uh he he taught elementary music um and so I always just was like well you can make music your life but you got to teach or you got to have some other thing you know so that was a big that was a big kind of life-changing thing just meeting that crowd of people and like discovering this whole world of people that have have been able to make their living as performing musicians. You know that it, to me it was kind of always like it was like you either play music on the side and have some day job or you're famous. Yeah. And you make a lot of money playing music. Nothing you know, in like, yeah. nothing yeah. in between. You know. Of course, I was like 18 when I met these people, yeah. so I, I might have been a little bit naive. But uh, but that was really that was a really big moment for me. It was you know a big realization. You know.
0: Huh. Yeah. What was it about them? Was it probably not just that they do that for a living, but was it something about their whole vibe or? Yeah, yeah. definitely.
1: Definitely. I mean, yeah, because that, that realizing that that was what they did for a living was kind of an, an afterthought. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you asked that, actually, because it really is it really the, the spirit that they brought to mm-hmm. the music that that drew me to come back every week and go and hear them. We called it Tuesday Night Church. My friends and I would yeah. go to Flipnotics every Tuesday and listen to those guys because they were playing music at such a high level and with so much energy and so much fire and passion and spirit. I don't think I had ever experienced that before. And um and and it's kind of like what we were talking about before was like there's this need to make music you know Mm. it's like i feel like they probably feel the same way that we do about like this is like yeah it's a choice to be a musician for a living but in some ways you you just you have to do it you have that thing inside you you know i i know i've talked i've talked to john doyle about it before you know it's like you need you need that you know um and uh they play like like they need it you know they play like this is (laughs) It's life this or is death. breathing. Yes. Yeah. This is this is yeah. This is life, and um, and it's a beautiful thing to witness, and it's an inspiring thing to witness. And yeah. when I was doing my undergrad, I would I would go on Tuesday and I would catch the first set, and then on the set break, I would go to my practice space and practice because <laughs> it was like <laughs> so inspiring. Yeah, yeah, I was like, cool. I gotta go shed now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. So you know. Yeah, yeah.
0: I love that. Yeah, yeah. I love that when you see someone play like that, and just makes you want to go home and play and mm-hmm. practice. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so that's how you met your husband, right, mm-hmm. Ryan, at that at one of those gigs, or mm.
1: at Flipnotics. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we we had met once before that, and uh, it took me a minute to put it together that 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 was where I knew he I knew we'd met before, but I was too shy to talk to him for. <laughs> I think it was almost a year. I was oh. going every week. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Wow, that's amazing. <laughs>
1: Yeah. This was a long time ago. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it was just like three or four years ago, right? Oh yeah, that was totally. <laughs> yeah. So I'm only twenty two. I, I first met you um through Irish music. Yeah. Um, what drew you into that? What do you like about that music?
1: Oh gosh. Well My first introduction to that music is actually because of my dad. My dad would, um, yeah, we listened to the Chieftains and the the Waterboys. Yeah. um, And uh, I can't remember who else we had in rotation, but mainly it was Chieftains for like traditional Irish stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, he brought me home a tin whistle one day and... Uh, we must have been on it my dad went through all these different kind of phases he's still you know it's like he's listening to a lot of Irish music or listening to a lot of blues or listening to a lot of whatever and so he must have been he was he was on an Irish music kick and he he brought home a, a tin whistle and was just like, here I brought you this you play flute surely you can play this yeah you know which is that cool attitude of like here's an instrument do something with it yeah. you know and I had no idea like how virtuosic tin whistle playing can be you know right <laughs> I was just like cool yeah I can toot a melody yeah. on this thing you yeah. know? and so I started playing um, uh, with that with the family band as well I would play a little tin whistle on tunes here and there but and it was a little bit more like a kind of like Appalachian style, kind of, because yeah. um, that that was kind of a little bit of the vibe of the, of that music. wasn't really traditional Irish, but you know, really, I got more into it when through hanging out with Ryan because I, it had always just been kind of a casual fascination when I was younger. But um, then learning that Ryan played pipes and he kind of introduced me to a bunch of the other uh, the other music to like Plankste and Bothy Band and all all those guys and stuff and and um, yeah so I that opened me up to a lot of the amazing stuff there. Yeah, it's out there. There's
0: so many great musicians there. Uh, it's it blows my mind still to this. When I go go to visit, you know, mm-hmm. I just can't believe the standard of musicianship just uh, amongst regular people. You know, people yeah, that don't incredible. even make their they don't even do it for a, a living. You know, no, I know uh, it's, it's so different from here. Totally. What do you have any insight into why that is? Having worked in the schools there and and done that whole thing, you did.
1: Well, I think I think part. Part of it is a cultural thing. Yeah, that music is just so intertwined with their culture. I mean, people people sing mm-hmm. together still. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember this one uh, when we were vis- visiting. We were at this pub in Galway, and you know, these these guys came in with a banjo and a guitar, and we were like, "Oh man!" You know, we wanted to hear some. Like we thought we we wanted to hear we we wanted to see flutes and pipes and yeah. fiddles and you know we wanted to. Yeah. You know, and then the guy opened his mouth and he sounded just like luke kelly wow I was like oh oh no this is amazing you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was singing and nobody in the bar was paying attention you know it was mm. like a bunch of tracker knackers you know like a bunch of bunch of um we would like we would call them maybe like uh i don't know jocks yeah. whatever in the bar and he comes around to the chorus of the tune he's singing and everybody turns around and starts belting out the chorus and singing singing along. <laughs> like all these people I thought weren't even listening. Yeah. You know? And that was a moment Ryan and I were
0: like. This is different. This is different. Yeah. yeah.
1: Like I, I I, don't think there. Maybe sometimes at, at sports functions people will sing together in mm. the States. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Take mm. me out to the ball game. The national anthem. I don't know. There aren't <laughs> as many times when people just randomly sing together here yeah you
0: know? it's a little more uh, repressed i guess yeah you know?
1: there's a lot more people that think i can't sing yeah you, well, know? you
0: have to be a professional to do it or something
1: mm-hmm. yeah and there's some of that over there too but yeah um but yeah i just think the music is really interwoven in the culture yeah and then and then we were talking to some people we met over there about the the cultist system mm-hmm. uh and i think that really contributes to the high level of musicianship as well like anybody who participates in that um kind of system uh because you have like you know you have your lesson and then you're immediately playing with other people right like after after everybody has their lessons and then they go and, and they have group you know the session with all of their fellow students yeah. you know and you're just playing with other people kind of from the get-go and I think that's not something we have as much here. That's something that I've been trying to, to cultivate more in, in the work yeah. that I'm doing is just more group stuff where people can make music together, but in a supportive environment where they're maybe not out in public or feeling like you yeah. know there's a lot of pressure on them. To sound good. It's like a it's like a it's like a supported guided jam session kind of, you know, in a way of like we don't have
0: that here, yeah. Yeah. So not that I know of.
1: Yeah, I've been trying to I've been trying to where I I have these applied music classes that I do where we we get together and we like talk about a concept, work on a concept, and then we do it and then we play, you know, and we kind of try to apply whatever it is that we're working on to actual music making. And, And some of the people who have been coming to my class like one person in particular he would say he said I will never perform I will never play on stage and now he's 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 played with the jug band he's played he sings in a choir now you know yeah. like he plays with this other little brass band you know it's like Amazing. it's so cool and people I think it's because we don't have that intermediate step of like being able to apply the things you're maybe learning in your private lessons mm-hmm. before having to be in public and be performing right you know so i i would love to develop more of that giving people a chance to play together
0: yeah i think that'd be great not under pressure because really that's the only way that you can improve
1: totally and to be able to stop and ask a question you know if you just go to a jam session you know you don't necessarily Mm. feel comfortable yeah saying like hey what so I don't understand what's going what did on you in do this spot. There? Yeah, and what yeah. was that? I mean, maybe you do, but it's it's just like probably a
0: lot of people don't. Though they feel I like th- you know, they don't they don't feel like they should be able to speak up in that way if they're at a jam session that they feel is above their level or something yeah. like that. Maybe yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So your classes, you do. Um, is it for all ages? And you do it here at, at your out of your home? Yeah.
1: Or? I've been since since I've been in grad school. It's been a, a little bit on on hiatus, but. Um, I'll probably start it back up again. Uh, pretty, su- I've got one more year of that, and then yeah, <laughs> and then I'm gonna be really ramping Boop. up that stuff. But um, yeah, we we did it. We did it at the house. Um, we've done it um, at Eastside Music School. We've done it. We actually did it at um, at Adapt, which is uh, there on I-35. Uh-huh. We did it kind of in conjunction with Blocomotion, which is a community brass band. Um, we've done it in kind of some different ways, but uh, it's. I, I've always uh, presented it as all ages, but typically I get a lot of adults, mm-hmm. um, and then I, I've I've had some teenagers through adults. Um, I haven't had any like really young kids okay. uh, involved in it yet. But I mean, of course, you know anybody's yeah. welcome. It's that's part of my challenge as the, like the facilitator of the thing is to make it. Yeah so that everybody in the room is getting something out of it and that nobody's, nobody's totally lost and also nobody's totally bored. <laughs> yeah. So it's a challenge, but.
0: That's amazing. So you'll yeah. probably get to expand that out more after you finish your, your second master's degree.
1: Yeah, yeah I really hope so. You're yeah.
0: doing a saxophone performance, right?
1: Jazz saxophone yeah. performance. Nice.
0: Um, who are some of your biggest musical influences? Mm. Or if you could name a couple, you know?
1: You mean like living people or just anyone?
0: Anyone that you've seen or heard that really affected you and the way that you play or that you view music. Mm. uh, Living or or gone?
1: Wow. Well, Django Reinhardt's definitely in there Mm. because I listened to him from... A really young age yeah and my grandfather loved his music and yeah. so my dad would would play us that stuff and be like this is grandpa's music you know and wow. um so i always really connected with with that stuff and thought it was so beautiful um and uh and it and it also he also lists he was really into like debussy and you know all yeah. that french impressionist yes. stuff which is some of my favorite Um, Mm -hmm. you know, classical music. Mm -hmm. Um, And also Fats Waller. You can can really tell that Fats Waller was influenced by that stuff too. But he also has that beautiful, like lighthearted playfulness while being incredibly virtuosic and incredibly impressive musician, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. And obviously Sidney Bechet, you know, uh, just musically, the tunes that he wrote, the ideas that he presented, the spirit that he that he puts into his horn. Fiery. Just so yeah. fiery. Yeah, yeah. He can be a divisive player because some people like hear yeah. his vibrato and it's just... It's like
0: just too abrasive. It's and, just too yeah. much, you know, but yeah.
1: and and actually for me, the first time I heard it, I was like, wow,
0: I don't know. I don't know if I can do this.
1: <laughs> you know, but then you listen and you realize that the music that's coming out of that horn is just coming out of him.
0: So much passion. It's, it's yeah. so
1: much passion and it's so good. Like the ideas are so... Mm-hmm. Creative, and every note is, is intentional. You know, it's mm. every note that he plays. You know, it's like that's exactly what he wanted to say, and I I, I think that's really beautiful. Yeah. So yeah, those are I don't know the, off the top of my head some of. Well,
0: the... uh, Django Reinhardt is in my top three too. Oh, nice. And yeah. uh, for many reasons, what is it about his music, or his story, or whatever that? That draws you to him, to his music.
1: Gosh i I think a lot of it is is just the the beauty of what he played, mm-hmm. um, and the things he wrote. Um, it speaks to me on both like an intellectual and spiritual level. You know, like it 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 makes me think and. It also inspires me, um, and uh, and there's virtuosity without, like the virtuosity feels like just a a vehicle for the expression, yeah. and not the end itself, you know. Right. Um.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I, the
1: connection with impressionism too, because I, I also you know Debussy is probably actually in my in my top, you know, five or whatever of, you know, musicians or composers
0: that inspire. I've noticed a lot of um, people that play in the style of Django Reinhardt now. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some amazing players, but they, they lean more towards the, you know, the technical prowess, like the virtuosity Mm -hmm. thing. And for me, that just kind of loses the spirit of Mm -hmm. what he was doing. He, Mm -hmm. He was, yes, a virtuoso, but it was really the... Uh, he, the things that he did he, he used them for a reason and, mm-hmm. and his, his his music just had so much feel to it so mm-hmm. much groove and mm-hmm. so much passion and his ideas like he was just amazing with the way he would just come up with ideas on mm-hmm. the fly you know
1: Mm-hmm. So. totally yeah i feel like i feel i unfortunately dave biller doesn't really do the the django thing anymore uh dave biller? but yeah you know dave no oh man he's one of my favorite musicians oh. um, but he actually he and Ryan used to have a band uh, with, with Ben Saffer and uh, and uh, Jeff Seaver and I guess Anthony Locke was in, in the band too uh, called Le Neglo. and they stopped playing right before I met all those guys and they were they were doing the Django thing oh, cool. I feel like Dave really got you know I've heard recordings and things and I think Dave really got that uh, lightness you yeah. know yeah as well, you know, it was like not just about the virtuosity, but I was saying like, he, he would write some tunes also in yeah. that style that were just so beautiful. Wow. Yeah, actually one that we, he made an arrangement for the Elevators slash thrift yeah? set of one of oh, those cool. tunes. Yeah. But anyway.
0: Yeah. One other thing I love about Django's playing was the the playfulness in it, mm-hmm. and and the exactly the humor too. Mm-hmm. you know
1: totally yeah <laughs> well, there's a certain lightness yeah. to it you yeah, know that's
0: what when you said that, that's when we think of that
1: yeah i i feel like the people that i enjoy the most don't take themselves too seriously <laughs> <Yes>. you know <laughs> yeah 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 it's like they're they're total you know badasses but you know
0: don't take themselves seriously yeah, so, yeah.
1: They're able to still keep it light,
0: yeah. Um, how do you how do you stay healthy aside from the way you eat and everything? like um, mm. how do you exercise and and what do you do in particular that that helps you to perform better?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, so over the years, um, Ryan and I have both studied a lot of different kind of movement disciplines. Um, because uh, we we both believe that you know the body is the first instrument you know so uh, if you don't have if you don't have that in order then you can't really can't play. <laughs> do anything else yeah. so um and uh and it also feeds into the to the to the mental health aspect as well um so uh, for me. Currently, I'm doing a lot of like resistance training and 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 weight training, that kind of thing. Um, I have a trainer that sends me um, routines every every day of the week, uh, yeah. and uh, that really helps also with the predictability of like you know, as far as lifestyle goes, of like taking out some variables, <laughs> you know, things yes. you have to worry about. Just yeah. being like. Cool. This is what I'm doing today. Somebody else has decided for me. You know, it helps. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh,
0: but and you lift these. Uh, we, we're in the weight room now. <laughs> We've got the Body Rock pink, <laughs> pink weights.
1: Yeah. Yes. And yes. Gifted to me. <laughs> very gratefully. Um, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, and uh, but but all of that stuff is grounded in a foundation of. Uh, of body awareness uh that's kind of a blend of alexander technique and jujitsu and um yoga and you know just a general kind of body awareness um somatic awareness i'm 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 really interested in the idea of of embodiment and uh and somatic awareness and 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 how that Affects us as musicians and, and as we go through the world. That, you know, the the mind body is like post Cartesian thinking. You know, like the mind mind and body are not two separate things. Yeah. You know, it's 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 all connected, man. It is. You know, but uh, but it really 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 is, and um and so um like studying Alexander technique, for instance, is one of the things that has really affected every aspect of life and movement um and so it's just having that awareness of like what what's my head neck relationship doing and and how that feeds into the rest of my body and what and can i find freedom and ease in this movement can i find freedom and ease in in this movement and reminding yourselves because you know playing playing music can be you almost feel like it's an out-of-body experience or whatever, but it's not, you know. (laughs) You're still, Mm -hmm. your body is still your home. So you have to remember it, you know. You have to have an awareness. You have to have an ability to come back to it because it's not necessarily about, you know, posture isn't necessarily about having a position and holding it. It's about being aware of of your habit of your movement of what, what what you're doing and uh being able to float freely within that so just having all of these disciplines over the years have really helped to just have these mental kind of checklists of like yeah. going like Ha, huh, that doesn't feel comfortable okay what am I doing mm. here what do I need to adjust like mm-hmm. oh okay you know that feels better and it, it frees up your music making
0: yeah you know? so. are you doing that while you're playing as well thinking about your
1: sometimes yeah i mean ideally you're not really thinking yeah much at all Yes, that's the goal right (laughs) yeah but um but yeah every once in a while you need a reminder because you know you find yourself in some odd position yeah yeah yeah. like how did i get here yeah but but to be able to have a a kind of an equilibrium to go like Mm -hmm. you know or a, like a default kind of like ah that's that's where i need to be let's mm. let's go back let's go back there yes yeah. you know in between songs or whatever get back to or center, in a moment yeah. just kind of yeah recentering yourself and re re like just being sometimes it's just being aware of like oh yeah i have a body you're right you know yeah. <laughs> and just that 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 little bit of awareness yeah can help you to um even just sitting here i feel like we're both like while we're talking about this we both kind of like... It
0: loosened up. I started yeah. thinking about my breath. You yeah, know? yeah. And just... I'm like in my... Because I felt like I was breathing kind of shallow. Because mm. maybe I was thinking about, I don't know, the next thing I'm going to ask you or something mm-hmm. like that, you know? Yeah, and completely. And then I start thinking about my breath and I'm breathing naturally again.
1: Yeah, and, uh, breathing. Yeah. Such a huge Do you thing. meditate? I do. Yeah?
0: Yeah. What is your meditation practice like?
1: Um. It varies. Uh, I actually, a little while ago, I downloaded that Headspace app. Oh yeah. And I was using that cause it's really helpful. I find it really helpful to have a little bit of guidance for meditation. Mm. Um, just because of the monkey mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's going to do um, what it's going to do. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes it's just a quiet, you know, taking a quiet moment to count breaths, you know, and just watch breath. Um, and, uh, and sometimes I feel, if I feel like I'm really struggling, then I will have, I'll do a guided, a guided thing. Um, also I've like, especially last semester, I had some days that were, I had every Wednesday was a 15 hour day for me, continuous with very, very little break. And, um, so I was trying to find ways of like getting, I'm not a very good napper, Mm-hmm. I just get really groggy. It takes me a long time to fall asleep and then when I wake up I feel really groggy, yeah. don't feel refreshed. And so when I I realized I was going to have to do something to get myself through these semesters where I'm I'm just I'm doing school on top of my life and have an assistantship at school which is like having a whole other job. Yeah. So I I started doing these um theta wave power naps.
0: Oh. Yeah, I've done those. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: and so I just like I, I I let go of the idea that I have to fall asleep in order to take a rest or yeah. take a nap. You know it's like it's it's good to just be still, be quiet, and close your eyes, yes, and let go of everything for fifteen, twenty, thirty minutes, however much time you have and so they have you know man, technology is so great on youtube <laughs> there's like all these different like little power lap yeah. you know sound clips, and I just put on my headphones and i prop prop my legs up on some pillows and get myself yeah. really comfortable, so I can really just drop all of my weight and drop everything, yeah. And put my headphones on, and I just listen to that, and 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 that has been like kind of a lifesaver. you
0: feel refreshed after I, that. I do, yeah. yeah.
1: And I don't know if it's if it's a placebo or if it's real, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, that's been kind of my way of like it's. It, that's not as much of it's sort of a meditation, you know, but it's also just trying to yeah unplug for a little bit, mm-hmm. which is so important.
0: Yeah, for me, um, I find that meditating like in the way that you just described or just lying down and, or sitting and just thinking about breathing for Mm -hmm. 10 or 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Once I'm done with that, um, it's just as good as if I had taken a nap, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like totally refreshed and Mm -hmm. like I rested, you know, Mm -hmm. because, uh, well, because my mind at least slowed down, Mm -hmm. I I don't always, (laughs) I can't always shut it off. In fact, I never can, but but it's just, uh, creating that space where you're aware of what your mind is doing and mm-hmm. you're kind of separate from it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, mm-hmm. how does Ryan contribute to your creative work or your, what you do for wow. a living?
1: Well, he's my partner. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, he contributes so much. Um. Gosh, I mean, where to even begin? Uh, I don't think I would be a musician if it weren't for him—a professional musician. Wow. You know, even though I grew up playing music. Wow. Um, when we first met, I wasn't really making very much music. I was—I uh, was nineteen. I was working at the music store. I was starting to get back into it on my own a little bit. I had rented a saxophone and took it home to mess around with it, and then i, I, I had bought one. Um, I got this cool vintage saxophone that was just hanging out in the warehouse and straight music. Like you know, I somehow lucked into that and as an employee I, I was able to afford to buy it with my discount and you yeah. know, I could put it on layaway for myself. <laughs> <laughs> but um so anyway, uh yeah, Ryan came along and he was just so encouraging to me without pushing me, you know, but just there was never a question of whether or not I could play music. It was just like, of course you would play music, you know? And um, we, we only just recently started playing together a lot because I was more in the classical world and he was more in the, in the jazz world. But as soon as I graduated from my undergraduate degree, um, I started learning to play jazz because, I mean, that's kind of where my heart is. And, you know, I love playing classical music, but as a flute player good gracious I mean there's two flute players in an orchestra and it's so competitive you know yeah. and uh and for me I'm really not a competitive musician and I just can't imagine living my life you know practicing yeah. eight hours a day on orchestral mm. excerpts and then playing a perfect audition and still not getting the job you know just for whatever reason yeah. I just can't imagine I, much props to the people who live that life because it's a beautiful thing but uh yeah I play I play music with Ryan many nights a week now which is really really cool um also being busy you know being able to see each other at least on gigs you know we drive to the gig together we make we have dinner together and um it gives us some time to spend even when things are really really hectic and and um yeah he's just he is so incredibly supportive and um encouraging and i mean goodness goodness like when i'm in school he makes the dinner he makes me coffee in the morning even though he hates coffee yeah. you know it's it's um yeah I, I can't really say enough about yeah how much he brings to my life
0: amazing what would you say to someone that's um that wants to pursue music and maybe wants to do it for a living or to live a creative life in that way. But feels like maybe it's a stupid thing to do, Mm. uh, you know, but it's, it's really in their heart and they want to, they want to go for it. Maybe they have people in their lives that are telling them it's dumb.
1: Well, I would say definitely don't listen to those people. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: I like
1: you that know, answer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if that's what you want to do and you're committed to it and it's in your heart, I I mean, I say do it because we need more. We need that. The mm. world needs that. Mm-hmm. You know, and more people that are doing something from such an authentic place. Yeah. You know, that's, I think that's part of the beauty of, of, of being music makers is that I mean, we we can really say things from a really authentic place, you know? And we need more of that in this world, yeah. you know? And, um, and so I would say, you know, just being aware that it's not the easiest thing to do. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of challenges, um, but it is very, very doable, yeah. you know? It's totally doable. You just have to... You have to you have to be willing to sacrifice certain things, you know? You have to be willing to live a lifestyle that's frugal, you know. Um at least, you know, until you make your first million. But uh (laughs) (laughs) kidding. (laughs) Um no, you know, you have to be willing to live within your means. Yeah. You know? Um and uh you have to spend a lot of time working on your craft mm-hmm. and you have to spend a lot of time working on your professionalism you know yourself as a as a business right. you know which is not something we're all naturally good at yes especially as creatives I think not to make generalizations but
0: well it's true you know yeah.
1: <laughs> generalizations become that way for a reason yeah um, yeah and I think I think just being aware of like everything that that goes into that. Mm-hmm. Just helps, you know, I would, there are certain times in my life that I think like, man, I wish somebody would have told me it was going to be this way. Yeah. You know, maybe that would have made it easier, but maybe not. I mean, maybe those are lessons you have to learn for yourself. I don't know, but I would definitely encourage anybody who, who wants to live this life. I mean, I, I can't imagine a better way to, to spend my days personally.
0: It's amazing, right?
1: Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, um, one of the biggest things that's helped me is to focus more on like the business side of things Mm -hmm. and really taking it seriously and really, you know, accounting for everything and, and, and treating it like it is a business. Mm -hmm. And, um, which, you know, was pretty much against my nature (laughs) Mm -hmm. for a long time. So I had to kind of force that. Um, but I'm able to make better decisions now because of it and to plan better and to, uh, like you said you were talking about being frugal Mm -hmm. um i have a a better view of what i what i need to do and where i should save and and Mm -hmm. where i should spend because Mm -hmm. i spend more time on looking at it you know looking at Mm -hmm. the and and seeing that i'm making progress or Mm -hmm. not what do i need to change and Mm -hmm. i feel like now it's actually easier to be a musician than it was maybe 20 years ago simply because it's easier to reach people and it's easier to get the word out about what you're doing to your to your people. Yeah. Um and there's also a lot more ways to make money online and things like that. Have you noticed that? Or does it seem like it's like there's more opportunity now for the non megastar to make a living at, in music?
1: I think you could probably look at it either way. I mean, I don't know, it depends you know, because now you recorded music, it's so hard to figure out how to monetize that with all the streaming yeah. oh, you know, yeah. and all that. I think you could look at it that way, but also from the, the perspective of like, there's so much more um, there's so many more platforms to share what you're doing, yeah. so in that way it's great. For me personally, I make most of my living from performing right. um, and not from uh, recorded stuff. I was making my living through mostly teaching lessons for about 11 years. Um, and just for the last couple of years I've switched to mostly performance Um, but that's the style of music that we play uh, you know is conducive to private parties and weddings and things like that where you can have some nice bread and butter gigs here and there Mm -hmm. Um, maybe not as easy to do that in every um, style of music but um, so everybody kind of it's that's the thing that 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 might be one of the most challenging things about being a musician is that there's no you know, roadmap, you know, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> everybody's got to find there's too many op- yeah, there's too many, many, many options, too or, many options, yeah. and there's too many variables. Like what you know, what kind of thing do you do? Um, what what's the what's the audience for the thing that you do? And how do you how do you really um, capitalize on that? On that, you know, um, so. Right. I think, but I think, I don't know, it feels very possible to me. It feels like it's, I wouldn't say easy, but but also I'm saying yes to a lot mm-hmm. right now, you know. Um, this weekend was, I mean, I, I had basically zero downtime this weekend, you know, because <laughs> it was like, gig, studio, practice for the next gig, because... I just had to learn a bunch of new material for the okay. Now the next gig. Now back in the studio. And you you know. still
0: agreed to do this the next day.
1: Yeah. Hey, <laughs> here we are. Wow, I'm You I, sounds I like you had a similar weekend I too. Did. So you know, I feel
0: super honored that you that you decided to do this. Oh,
1: thank you. Well, I, feel, yeah. I feel honored that you asked. Yeah,
0: but it was a, it was definitely a crazy weekend. <laughs> yeah,
1: totally. But it's like you know, at the end of the day, that's it's kind of the lifestyle. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it really is. Yeah. So it's like I i can't complain but i i do feel exhausted a lot of the times because sometimes and there's that kind of scarcity thing of like my scarcity mindset of like i have to say yes to all these gigs because i have no idea yeah next what next month's going to be like you know yes. and then that can snowball and you end up
0: saying yes never to,
1: having any downtime yeah <laughs> you know and but.
0: probably doing a lot of gigs or whatever that maybe it's not in your best interest to be doing. You know? Yeah, that's possible. Sometimes. I mm-hmm. don't know. I've had that experience. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think we, we all as musicians have to get a little bit better at and boundaries, you know, yeah. and say, say, saying, okay, no, maybe this is not something I need to do or, you know, no, this is the rate you know <laughs> yes yeah if we all kind of you know come together and, and say like you know and advocate for ourselves yeah. you know for the value of what we do then uh, that might help um, so that we we don't have to but I've, I've had friends who have who have said and I've found that kind of once you decide I'm not gonna take any more gigs like that or mm-hmm. any more gigs that don't pay or any more whatever then all of a sudden it opens you up to the the opportunities that you do want yeah and it's weird because there's a lot of things in this life as a musician that seem kind of like magic and seem kind of like blind faith or whatever (laughs) but it's for me that's been kind of what it's been is just like i'm deciding to do this and i'm just gonna have faith that it's gonna work out you know and uh And just believe that it's gonna work out Mm -hmm. and it seems and it's i mean like i've even had you know like a financial advisor look at my finances and be like i honestly can't tell you how this works (laughs) like how are you not starving yeah but i seriously don't want for anything i feel like i like i've never worried about paying the mortgage or having food on the table or any of that stuff it's hmm. just it's like it it just works out but if you look at it on paper it doesn't really make any sense yeah so there's just a lot i feel in this lifestyle i don't know if you find i this, agree but... with
0: that yeah <laughs> I, and i it's feel like it
1: works out somehow
0: somehow yeah i can tell you a story about that i, I think a lot of it is um it's on a spiritual level and i, I know that word gets overused mm-hmm. and thrown around but i just mean like the way that you're like believing that That uh, So you set your intention and and then Mm -hmm. you you just believe that it's going to work out somehow. You know Mm -hmm. that you need to do this thing. Mm -hmm. Like two months ago, um, a friend of mine, uh, he really needed a gig, you know, because he was having a a dry spell. And Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I really love playing with this guy. And what if, uh, you know, maybe we can you know, we can do a gig or two and we can record a track that weekend and, and everything cause I'm working on this album. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he agreed to it and I started looking at the numbers of what I'm gonna get paid and everything. I was like, oh God, I, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to afford this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cause I might end up like losing money and have to pay mm-hmm. out of pocket if mm-hmm. we're gonna do this whole, uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay him to do the gig with me and to do the recording session mm-hmm. and then I gotta pay the studio mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I had this moment of fear. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, nope, I'm gonna figure out how to make this work. It's Mm -hmm. gonna happen one way or another. Mm -hmm. And so the day came and sure enough, uh, the gig was, it went really well. I got paid. you know, whatever the pay was from the venue, Mm -hmm. but I also made a ton of money in tips that night and sold a bunch of CDs too Mm -hmm. and made like all this extra money. Mm -hmm. And I made actually enough money to cover, uh, you know, to cover paying him, to do the recording Mm -hmm. session, to pay the studio and, uh, over the course of that weekend and to pay to myself in the end, you know? So I made money that weekend. There you go. Whereas you know, I didn't know for sure if I was going to even be able to pay for all of it. Like I was going to have to pay out of pocket, but I made money that weekend. Um, It's like you said, it was kind of like a magical thing, you know, it was like, why did I get all these tips and sell all these CDs way above and beyond what I normally do in this little pub, you know?
1: Yeah. But you know what, you know what the magical thing about it is? It's that you've done the work to be a good musician. Hmm so the the thing you're you're presenting at the end of the day is something that people want to hear mm-hmm. and something that people like and something that moves people to go I want to take this home with me and listen to it again you know and it's like so in a way it's magical but in a way it's also like you just you do the work to yeah. make your craft as as good as it can possibly be you know yeah. like you you do the work to be able to express what you want to express and if you do that, then people see that and they notice that and they mm. and and they value it. You know, it's like you could do all of these great business things and and then you know not work on the music and then at the end of the day <laughs> you're like, like <laughs> why am I? You know. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes you do right. do the work and you do all the stuff, and sometimes it doesn't work out. But then it's almost like there's always something else that comes yeah. comes around right. and like fills in the gaps for for that stuff
0: yeah thanks for that reminder it's it's <laughs> so easy to forget that isn't it it is that well i was just thinking, you deserve this yes you know? well
1: because that's i don't know if you i i definitely have that you know imposter syndrome thing yeah. all yeah. the time of like why would anybody want you know like i get bogged down and the <laughs> like okay i'm putting the, together this show or i'm doing this thing and like i really hope it works out and uh, yeah you know and it's like no, you do have something to share that people want to hear, you yeah. know, yeah. and it's hard to take somebody else yeah. saying that. We just like
0: got to keep reminding each other. We do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's For <amazing>. sure.
0: <laughs> this has been really great, Lauren. I, I oh, really appreciate you. you taking the time for this.
1: Of course. I appreciate and, uh, you as well.
0: This has been a really fantastic conversation. I learned a whole lot from you. So thank you. Thank you. Um, where can we find you online and you know, your gigs, your projects, your applied music classes, how can people find you?
1: Well, I do have a website, uh, com L-A-U-R-Y-N, um, D O I haven't updated it in a while because I made it on iWeb and they don't make that software anymore no. but um but there is some info there but i also you know i'm on facebook and instagram and all that stuff and i do have a mailing list that i send out okay um
0: so so you just look up lauren Gould music on social media yeah okay
1: yeah cool and i'll, I'll drop me a line and i can put people on my mailing list if yeah. they want to know where gigs are happening and stuff
0: awesome yeah cool well yeah austin people and everywhere else hit her up and uh (laughs) she's got classes and gigs and i highly recommend it so check it out
1: thank you so much thanks lauren always a pleasure